Thank you for being here, and if you would, please turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 4. At Genesis 4, we continue our study of the beginnings, the beginnings of, of all things. Mike, good morning. Good to see you. Genesis 4, and we'll start in verse 17 and finish the chapter this morning. God writes through Moses, Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Erad, and Erad fathered Mahujael. Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other Zillah. Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah, was, uh, Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Namah. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Father, we call upon your name this morning in song and in prayer and giving and serving and and teaching, preaching, hearing your word. Father, I pray that you would work among us and in us, and Father, you'd be glorified by what happens here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the truths about God's word that I love is how relevant it always is. And some of you are kind of giving me a frown, like, did you are you talking about the same verses that we just read? <laughs> How are those relevant today? For all people, for all time, God's Word is and always has been and always will be relevant. It's from God, and so it's timeless. Uh, it has power and it has authority because it's from God who has power, all power and all authority. And even something written 3,500 years ago about events that happened about 6,000 years ago can still be and are still relevant to us today. Now, let's see how that could be possible. But before we do that, let's remember where we are in the context of how we got to these verses, because it's been a few weeks since we were in Genesis. You remember that after God created everything, innocent, pure, sinless, Adam and Eve brought sin into the world. They rebelled against God. They chose their own way instead of God's way, and they tried to replace God as the good, sovereign king with themselves, right? Uh, We're going to choose our own way, God. Instead of your way, we want to do what we want. So they replaced him with themselves, and that brought consequences. We looked at those in chapter 3, the uh, increased pain in bearing children, conflicts between husband and wife, pain and difficulty in work, a curse on all of creation, and even death. But worse than all of that, really, was that sin didn't stay with just Adam and Eve. It got passed on to the rest of humanity. It became an inheritance. 
It's been endemic in humanity since then. It's spread worse than COVID. Worse than any pandemic or epidemic has ever happened. It has a 100% infection rate, sin, in humanity. Well, Adam and Eve began to have children, and Cain was their first, and their, high, their hopes for him were so high. They wanted so much for him. He was the man that they had gotten with the help of the Lord. Remember, that's what his name means, gotten. Um, and maybe he would be the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. He, he would be wounded, but he would crush, he would triumph over that serpent. And so when they had their second son, he's named Abel from a root that means whisper, it's passing, just, just a mist. You know, who, who needs Abel? He's kind of second. He's, he's a passing mist. We've got Cain, the one that we got from the Lord. They didn't really need another if Cain was the chosen one. And, and so from the beginning, Cain and Abel are opposite in just about every way that we know about them. Everything we know about them, Cain is the important one, the, the one gotten from God. Abel's the passing one. Uh, Cain works the ground just like daddy did, just like Adam did. He worked the ground. That's what Cain does. Abel he works with animals. <laughs> Why does he do that? They're not even eating animals that, that we're aware of at this point, but they need clothing. And so Abel is, is working with animals, and, and he's a consistent reminder of how mankind needs covering because of our sin. Abel's also a constant reminder that the animals that are sacrificed to God die in our place and sacrifice. So Abel's just a constant reminder of death. But we learn much later in the New Testament, as Pastor Joe brought out, that Abel's works were good while Cain's were evil. We learned that their hearts were in the wrong place before God. Hebrews 11 says that Abel, when he brought his sacrifice, brought it by faith. And Cain does not, did not, so Abel's sacrifice was better. And so God accepted Abel's sacrifice and did not accept Cain's. But these two opposite brothers note that, that Abel, who had faith, Abel, Abel, who was righteous, was killed. But Cain who did not have faith, whose works were evil. He rejects God's counsel. He kills his brother. He murders. He gets to continue to live. And it's not just that he gets to continue to live. You noted uh, in the verses here in chapter 4, the beginning part that we didn't read this morning, but that we have gone through before, he gets to live with the protection of God on his life. What is this about? Now, he's got extra curses. He's, he's actually cursed from the ground. It, it won't work for him. He, he's going to be a fugitive and a wanderer on earth. But he gets marked by God so that he's protected with a sevenfold vengeance by God himself if anybody tries to kill him. So after all of that, Cain lives. And look at verse 16, how he lives. Cain went away from the presence of the Lord, and then he settled in a land, the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now, he continues to avoid God. I'm going to get out of the presence of God. And then he settles, but settled is used loosely because the land of Nod, Nod actually means wandering. <laughs> and so uh, Cain is suffering the effects of his sin. He's, he's made to wander around in this land. He stays there, but he can't truly settle. But this isn't, this isn't fair, is it? I mean, it doesn't seem fair. The one who's righteous, the one, the one who did what pleased God because of his faith, because of the, the works of faith that he lived out, is killed. His life ends. Abel doesn't get to get married. He doesn't get to have kids or, or, or see his grandkids. He doesn't, he doesn't get to live any of his life. But Cain gets to do all of that and more. Cain's the one who rejects God and his counsel, even flees from his presence, but he still is living. Now, sin has come into the world. 
And when it did, it spread to all mankind, like we said, every human being, but not only that, it wrecked the order that God had set in place. It wrecked peace and stability that God had created and that proclaimed His glory. It wrecked so much of that. And the first sin that we saw after the fall, you know, it wasn't some small sin that started to grow. It was just murder right from the beginning, right? And and it wouldn't get any better. But this is something the Bible is very serious about and very honest about. This is the world we live in now. (laughs) And it was our doing. The world was God's. He made it. He made it just the way he wanted it. He made it great. He made it sinless and pure. And the beauty that's still here in this world is God's. The order that does still exist is God's. But what happened to make it the way it is now? Our sin. Your sin and my sin made it messed up the way it is now. But we do still have the hope of Genesis 3, verse 15. The one who is to crush the head of the serpent. Where is he? That's why we have the rest of the Bible to show us, to to give us the arrows that point throughout human history where the Messiah will come, where the serpent head crusher will finally come and, and redeem us and save us. So he's not here yet in Genesis, but the arrows begin pointing to him. We start looking, and what do we see? In our verses this morning, we see three observations on the condition of sin soaked humanity. Just just the human condition and, and three observations that we have here in these verses. Number one, we're going to notice prosperity despite rebellion against God. In verses 17 to 22, we're going to see some prosperity. We're going to see some success despite rebellion against God. What happens to Cain's line, the line of the one who rebelled, who, who murdered an image bearer of God? Do they, do they get better? Maybe they become better people. No, we're not going to see that. Do they suffer any consequences? Apparently not, as we'll see in these verses. Not physically, but let's watch. Verse 17, Cain knew his wife. Now, the first question that many of you have is, where did he get a wife? <laughs> Look across the page or turn the page if you need to to chapter 5, verse 4. Moses tells us the days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years. That's a long time to live. And he had other sons and daughters. So Adam and Eve had many sons and daughters. They had others who were born to them. We've only looked at the first two, Cain and Abel. We'll see a third here at the end. But they had other sons and daughters. That's where his wife came from. Why did they have so many sons and daughters? Well, because God told them to. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, right? So they had many sons and daughters. So Cain takes one of the daughters of Adam and Eve, which is to say one of his sisters as his wife. Now let's be clear that today that's not acceptable, is it? There were no other human beings at the time for men to take as wives, and they didn't have the harmful effects of genetic mutations that compound um, for within families uh, that, that becomes very bad for children. That began happening relatively quickly, though. And so, so soon after this, it was not going to be acceptable to take your sister as a wife. But at this point, they didn't have those issues. So Cain married and then knew his wife. That's the biblical term for intimacy between husband and wife. And they have a son. And in this act, Cain and his wife are actually obedient to the Lord, to the Lord God. He said, have children, be fruitful, multiply. He said that to all people. Do we realize that? He gave that command to everyone. So they call their son Enoch. And what we need to realize as we study this passage together is that the names in the Bible are not accidental and they're not incidental. They're not something just to ignore. Names are important because they often reveal something about the people that have these names. And this section is full of names. It gives us an idea of who these people were. 
Now, we're not going to look closely at these names. It's important to make that we don't make too much out of the names, um, but they are helpful for understanding what's happening in our passage. So, so Cain's son, Enoch, means follower or dedicated. In verse 17, Cain uh, built a city and named the city after his son. So as Enoch follows Cain, the city is dedicated to this son, Enoch. Now it could be that after having a son, Cain is amazed at the gift of life and his son becomes so important to him and he decides to dedicate the city uh, in his name. But I think it's a little bit more likely that Cain realized his son's not going to have the protection that he has from God And so he wants to devise a way to protect his son because I can't trust God. I'm on my own here, Cain thinks. I've got to protect my son. So he he builds a city to protect him. But also, Cain was a wanderer. For the rest of his life, after killing his brother, God said, you're going to be a wanderer. This may have been a way to help his son, rather than follow in his own footsteps, help his son settle and and not have to wander around. It may have been a way around his sin and and its consequences. It was certainly a reaction to God's command, fill the earth. Cain says, no, we're going to build a city. We're going to stay right here. Well, whatever the reason the city was built, it was a reaction against God and against his commands. God said, you're going to be a wanderer. Cain says, well, I'm going to build a city. <laughs> God said, fill the earth. Cain said, no, we're going, to build, we're going to build a city. We're going to put a place of permanence here for us to live in. Cain wants to be in charge of himself. I'll take care of me. I'll take care of my children, God. I'll live where I want, I'll do what I want, away from your presence. That's what, that's what Cain is doing here. And you can see just how sin has just overwhelmed Cain's thinking. Rather than thinking about how to, how to please God, if Cain thinks at all about God, it's how can I do what I want rather than what he says? And maybe whatever he says, I'll just do the opposite. That's the mindset of humanity in sin. Even when it's not overtly evil. I mean, it's not necessarily evil to build a city, is it? I mean, if it is, we're all in trouble. Because <laughs> that's where many of us live, is in, in the city. But even something that's not overtly evil becomes a, a, a position of rebellion against God. Just because of the, the reasons that we're doing it or, or why we're going about our life the way we are. Now, verse 18 kind of sprints ahead in generations, and, and we don't really get to learn much about the generations other than their names. So let's just glance at them. Um, Enoch's son is Erod, which comes from a root that means fugitive. Uh, remember, that's what Cain was cursed to become. He has a son, Enoch, and here, let's plant a city. Well, his son is, is a fugitive. Um, Erod's son is Mahujael, which means smitten by God or struck by God. Okay, this isn't going very well for his line, is it? He fathers Methushael, which means man of God, a man of God. So there are some interesting possibilities about who these men were, but we're going to refrain from that speculation. Just from the list of names, this line follows Cain's rebellion and fleeing from the presence of God, except Methushael. He's different. He's called a man of God. And so what we're doing is, at this moment, we are praising God that he allows people to follow him no matter their background, their history, their family history, their lineage, what kind of people they have been or where they've come from. You can come to God through Jesus Christ, faith in him, no matter what you've had in your past, no matter who your family has, has tried to make you become, no matter what's happened, you can believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Jesus is not only for Jewish people. He's not only for 
white people. He's not only for Americans or Europeans. He's, he's not specific to only those good families <laughs> or, or, or people who think that they're better. God accepts people in his son regardless of where they've come from. So Methushael fathers Lamech. And, and Lamech's name has an uncertain meaning, but it could be, it could be uh, bringing low or conqueror, powerful. That's what Lamech's mean, name could mean. So we are now seven generations removed from Adam, and because Adam and Eve are living so long, they may actually still be alive to see Lamech seven generations down. But if we've made some inferences about this line just based on the meanings of their names, Lamech is really going to lay it out there for us. We don't have to imply or infer anything about him. He just lives out his sin for everybody to see. Look at verse 19. Um, it, it starts his short but sordid, tangled story. Lamech took two wives. Don't, don't skip over that. <laughs> Lamech took two wives. God did not tell a man to take two wives, did he? God's plan in chapter 2, verse 24, was singular, not plural. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Lamech here violates God's plan. He rejects God's wisdom, and he takes for himself more than he should. You know, there just weren't that many people on the earth yet. It could be, I mean, this is speculation, but it could be that, that uh, there was a man who did not have a wife on the earth because Lamech took two. There are consequences to our sins. But even more than that, this is just an outright flagrant and chronic disobedience to God from Lamech. God says, one, I'll take two. And as we've seen from the point of the introduction of sin onward, mankind is always going to be challenging God's divisions, his distinctions, his rules, his laws. What, what God says here, I'm going to do this. Because God is the lawgiver, but sin is lawlessness, First John tells us. God says it should be this way. We say, well, well then we're going to do it that way. It's on full display here with Lamech. His wives are given names, and we don't know who named them. It may be that Lamech named them after he married them or because he was marrying them. But Ada, his first wife, her name means ornament. Ornament, like a, something to look at. Zillah means either shadow or it could mean roast flesh. <laughs> it's probably more likely shadow in this context. Um, but, but a shadow, like uh, something to, to shade you, to shelter you. And so he's got two wives, and, and one of them is just something to look at. And one of them is to find refuge and shelter and safety rather than God, because he's not going to search for that from God. And so that's who his wives become, rather than a helper, rather than a completer, rather than two whole people who, who need one another to complete the picture of, of the image of God together, rather than working together to accomplish God's will, rather than God's order and his design and blessing, Lamech takes two wives solely for the benefit of himself. He takes two women solely for himself because of what they can do for him. I like to look at this one. I like to find shelter and, and refuge in that one. What can you do for me? And if one would be good, then two would be better. So you can see a degrading of women who have been made in God's image by Lamech here. You see a rejection of marriage and God's plan for what that should look like. And you see selfish sin just lived out in full display. There's no shame here for Lamech and what he's doing. Now, 
Who's the one who's sovereign over who has children? Who's the one who, who decides to give or not give children? The Lord God is. You might think that God would say, look, you guys, that's ridiculous. I can't believe you guys are doing that. I'm not going to let you have children. You might think God would say that. And to that we answer, thank God that he doesn't do that. Because if God was going to give us children based on how obedient we are, none of us would have children, would we? So thank God that his goodness, his common goodness, his goodness that's common to all, is also on full display here. It's a clear teaching on his goodness. The grace that comes from God that's common to all of us. He's going to allow them to have children. He's going to bring children to them despite their total rejection of him and his his will, his plan. Men with multiple wives will continue in the Old Testament. We'll see it over and over again. And, And God will even use it for good, even continuing the line of the Messiah. We'll see that as we continue in Genesis. But it was never God's plan or design, and it's never acceptable before him for man to trample any of God's divisions, distinctions, rules, laws, his righteousness. And you'll see it in in the strife that it produces, the the struggle, the, the jealousy, the difficulty, the brokenness that comes about in those marriages. But for here, the, these, uh, this family, this, this mixed family here has children. Now, what kind of children are they? Well, these sinners, I mean, they're having children. They've they got to be terrible kids, right? They've just got to be terrible people, right? <laughs> That's another problem that people in the world have had, taking the sins of the parents and reflecting them onto the children, passing, uh, passing those sins on, holding the sins of the parents against the children, you must be worthless child. No, not so. That's not what God thinks of children. That's not what God thinks of people made in his image. Look at these children, in fact. Ada bore Jabal. He's the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. This is an inventive, intelligent man. He figures out, look, you know, we've got these animals, and, and they're useful for clothing, and they're useful for making sacrifices to God if they, were, <laughs> if they were doing that. But he says, we've got to have these animals. But to have these animals, they've got to move around, and they've got to have water and pasture, and, and we've got to move around with them. So he invents camping, <laughs> right? He invents the tent. I've got to follow around with these animals. So he's an in- inventive, intelligent man. Jabal's brother is named Ram's Horn, or Jubal. The blowing of the ram's horn because he's the father of those who played instruments, musical instruments like the lyre and the harp. Talk about inventive and intelligent, creative. He creates the first musical instruments and then teaches his family how to play them. And you've got, again, two brothers, very different, hardworking shepherd, the other one a musician. Can you think of different brothers? Yet neither one of them is worthless or terrible human beings. In verse 22, Zillah, Lamech's other wife, bore Tubal Cain, or offspring of Cain. That's how he becomes known. And he's the one who's the forger. He, he begins the forging of all instruments, all the, the, not musical instruments, but tools, materials that, that use bronze and iron. It's the beginning of anything made of metal. He's the originator of making things out of metal. So the, the tools that we use to work the land and even eventually weapons... But it doesn't come out very well in the English, but there's an excitement behind these names. It's a, it's a celebratory um, perspective in these names. From a human perspective, this is success, right? We've got Jebal and Jubal and Tubalcain. This is, this is blessings for mankind from this family, this line that is not the chosen line that came from, from the wickedness of Cain. 
They bring shepherding and music and metalworking and even Tubal Cain's sister. You know what her name means? Her name means beautiful, <laughs> gorgeous. That's what Nama means. The whole family is successful and beautiful and prosperous. And it all sort of fits together, too, with the idea of the city here. We're, we're providing for ourselves. We're succeeding. We're prospering. The idea that jumps out of the background is, who needs God? We've got music for our souls. We've got tools to make the working of the ground easier. God cursed the ground, but we'll make it easier. We'll overcome his curse. In contradiction to everything that God says, we've got animals to give us the covering. They may have even begun to eat the animals by this point, which God would not sanction until later on. But we're working together to make this a great place. We really can have our best life here and now. That's what these people are doing. So we recognize that unbelievers can produce beauty earthly beauty. They can be intelligent and artistic. They can make great contributions to, to civilization and culture and government. You know, and, and we look at history and we see that in, in the, the pagan cultures of the Greeks and the Romans, and, and we see advances in ancient China, and we see all over the world where people have made contributions to humanity. They can bring earthly blessings, but that's all they can bring is earthly blessings. Temporary physical, earthly blessing. God allows that in His goodness of common grace to mankind. Now, doesn't that match what we see in the world? You've got people who don't live for the Lord. They couldn't care less about His Word, the Bible. They, they don't know what it says. They don't want to know what it says. They don't care that one day they'll have to answer to Him in the future. They don't want to hear that. They don't want to know that. They don't believe that. But look at how great their lives seem to be sometimes. You know, you've got, you've got people that get so rich they can buy an entire social media platforms <laughs> by themselves. You know, I mean, some, some people that become rich by starting an online bookstore that, that turns into a, a, world's, a worldwide distribution network. I mean, it's amazing what kind of creativity and intelligence mankind has from God even when we reject Him. Even when we don't live for Him, we live in that rebellion. Those who rebel against God seem to do okay for themselves. And we'll come back to that idea, but let's, let's think about why we're even looking at this line, uh, the line of Cain. Why does the Bible trace this line? Why do we have this? Well, I've, I thought of a few reasons. Number one, um, you know, at the beginning, Cain may have been thought of as the serpent head crusher. And so we've got to trace this line and find that that's not the case. He was not part of that chosen line that the Messiah would come through. But secondly we learn that Cain's line was intelligent and artistic. We need to understand that the wicked can and will prosper on the earth. They can be good and they can do good, earthly speaking. The third, it ties up loose ends. This is going to be a pattern in Genesis that we see. There, there are sons here and there are daughters and, and this is the line, but we'll kind of tie up this loose end a little bit. These are real people that the Bible's talking about. And so the Bible doesn't just dismiss them as if they don't matter. They're, they're real people, but it ties up these loose ends. Fourth, this provides more people on the earth, doesn't it? <laughs> as these other lines that aren't the chosen line are, are having children, the, the earth is being populated as God said that it needed to be. And then finally, fifth, it gives us lessons about worldly prosperity despite disobedience to God. Again, this is the teaching of the goodness of God to all mankind. Despite my sin, God still provides for me. Despite your sin, God still provides breath for you and food for you and I and, and sleep 
and all of the things that we take for granted so often. But this line of people who live in open rebellion to God still live in the enjoyment of God's common grace, His grace to all. What do we do about that, though? We'll see that in a few minutes. But another lesson to take from this is, is don't, think, don't look at Cain's line and think, wow, that's just too messy. That's just too sinful. It's too messed up. Because as we, as we saw, Methushael became a man of God despite his line. And if you think this is messy, wait till we get to the chosen line. <laughs> and we see the things that are happening throughout Genesis in the line that the, that the Messiah will come through. And so we've observed first the prosperity despite rebellion against God. That's, that's the first observation. Let's look at a second Number two in our notes from verses 23 and 24, promotion of rebellion despite goodness from God. The promotion of rebellion. We've seen the fullness of the goodness of God on full display. Now we see the height of pride, even, even because of sin here in Lamech's words. In these verses, Lamech becomes proud of his sin. He basks in the glory of his sin and in the violence that it brings about. Uh, these, these verses here, these two verses are known as a taunt song, a taunt song. You can see that it's set apart in stanza form as, as in poetry or, or a song. He may have even used the musical instruments that, that one of his sons made to, to sing this song. So he's using the blessings that God's given as a dare. It's a flaunting of his life and it's a dare. Anybody do anything about it? I dare anybody, even God, to come against me. That's what Lamech is saying in this song. His poetry, his song of violence, begins with a command to his wives. Hear my voice. Listen to what I say. <laughs> and he specifically calls out those two wives. Everyone else may have one, but I've got two. And they've got to listen to me. They've got to do what I say. So he flaunts his degenerate lifestyle. He flaunts his flagrant disregard for humanity, for women who are made in God's image. He says, look, I've killed a man for wounding me and a young man for striking me. Now, there's some debate whether this should be past tense, like it appears in English, or just a promise or a threat, like I would do this. But either way, whether it was a boasting about what he had done or, or that he had actually done this, um, the idea is the same. The word for kill here is not just the word kill. It, it carries the idea of, an, of ruthless violence. It's a slaughtering. See, he's, he's saying, I'll go out of my way to slaughter anybody that messes with me for wounding me, for bruising me. Someone does something bad to Lamech, he returns it with a merciless violence. I'll slaughter anybody that tries to take anything from me. I'll brutally take his life. It doesn't matter who he is or if he even understood what he was doing. The word here for a young man could be anybody from an infant to a young adult. I don't care how old he is. I don't care who he is or what he hasn't done. <laughs> I'll take him out. Can you hear the pride of self and the strength in his words from himself? With all this getting, with all this building, I'll just keep it going myself. This is, this is Lamech attempting independence from God and, and, and crying out for that. Why? Because of what he did for me. You, I mean, you can almost see him holding up the metal instruments that his other son made, Right? His metal tools that, that he may look, I'm invincible with this stuff. Anybody comes after me, man, I'll take you out. Look at the end of, verse, of his song in verse 24. Cain's revenge is sevenfold, Lamech's is 77-fold. What is he saying? God marked Cain as sevenfold. I've declared myself 77-fold. 
I demand even more leniency for my actions. It's more excusable for me to do what I want to do against somebody else. Even greater leniency and revenge. In the case of Cain, God would avenge him with uprightness. Lamech says, I'll just do it myself and I'll do it better. I'll do it stronger. I'll do it more powerfully. I'm my own security. I'm my own fullness, my own care. I don't need God. I'll do it better than God, uh, Lamech is saying. He's propped himself up as just that important and his judgment as that righteous. Whereas Cain succumbed to sin, Lamech exalts in it. Where Cain wanted protection after sin, Lamech provoked and even dared anybody to come against him for it. It's self-righteousness, it's self-justification on a level that we just haven't seen in the Scriptures yet, and yet, and yet we see it around us. We even see it within us, within us sometimes. This is, this is a completeness of sin pictured fully with no restraint. It's hubris, it's arrogance, it's pride, it's hate and revenge. It's the first poem recorded in Scripture, and it's been rightly called one of the most ungodly pieces of literature ever recorded. That's the song of Lamech. And yet, if you're honest, again, you may see this tendency within yourself. We've got Canyon kids in here with us this morning, and, and children, Canyon kids, you, you may see this within yourself when your brother or your sister or your friend does something and you want to strike back, right? They say something mean against you and you snap at them. You say something back in return. I've got a, I've got a quick response for you. Or brothers and sisters who are who are not in Canyon Kids, <laughs> the rest of us. You know, someone puts you down, you ratchet up the put down, you right? Instant, instant reply, I'll, I'll get you back. If someone cuts you off on the road, someone cheats you, someone lies to you, whatever it is, I'm gonna make it right. I'm gonna claim this same thing that Lamech does. I wouldn't use these same words, I wouldn't hold up the instruments and the, and the tools or the weapons, I, I wouldn't do that necessarily, but I've got the same heart, I've got the same problem that Lamech did in my own heart, this problem of sin, so we need to humble ourselves before God, repent of those thoughts and those attitudes you know, th- that I'm so important. If anybody does something to me, I'm going to make sure they get repaid. I'm going to get revenge. We've got to humble ourselves before God, repent of those thoughts, the attitudes that underlie those, repent and confess those actions and those words also, but start in the heart because we are not independent from God. We are totally and always dependent on Him and His goodness, but we never should be taking advantage of it. So zoom out with me just again for a second. You see the picture of a prosperous society? You see civilization and culture, people just defying God's laws in, in living for self in the face of all of that. As society and as civilization advances, sin advances as well. And we're not saying that's a causation. We're not saying that as society gets better, sin comes along, but there is a correlation there. But for these people who believe there's nothing beyond this life, there's no God I'm going to have to answer to, all of their energies become expended in making this life better, and so they bring about a lot of human good. This is what it looks like in people, though. Sin brings in pride and a denial of God, a denial of His importance. I don't need Him. I can be independent. Now we're free to just do what we want, put our energies into what we like, and we can make our own rules. We can make our own boundaries And we can see our culture around us today doing the same things. We're going to redraw lines and we're going to erase lines. We're going to take away everything that God has said in every way that we can. 
And that's how we're going to live in defiance to God. But brothers and sisters, our calling is not to try to fix that culture. Our calling is not to try to rescue the civilization that we live in. Our Jesus-commanded mission is not to stop the degeneration of culture into sin. That's already happening. It's already been happening. It's been there from the beginning of civilization and culture. Our job is to love the people around us enough to give them the truth of the gospel and to live it out before them, to live it and speak it and share the love of Jesus Christ in his truth so that they know that there is a judgment coming by a God who is holy and just and he's righteous and he's a God who is going to be wrathful against sin. But to love them enough to tell them that they don't have to live that way. They don't have to live in defiance of God and, and live in expectation of, of judgment. They can live for the Lord and look forward to his return so that they will be with God in glory rather than under his judgment. Our job is also not to be conformed to this world. Don't just follow along with the world into sin and rebellion. Remain faithful to the Lord Jesus. Love him and obey him as he empowers you to do so as you continually submit to him. You know, it's not a mistake that when Peter asked Jesus, you know, sometimes people do things bad against me. If my brother comes and does something bad against me, how many times should I forgive him in a day? Seven times? That's really generous, isn't it, Jesus? Seven times? I mean, that's pretty good, right? And Jesus said in Matthew 18, 22, not up to seven times, but up to 77 times. It's no mistake that Jesus used that number. Lamech said, I'll get back at somebody 77 times. Jesus said, no, you're going to forgive even up to 77 times in a single day if someone confesses and turns. You're going to forgive them because, brothers and sisters, we're supposed to live in a completely different way than the rest of the world. So we've observed prosperity despite rebellion against God. We've made an observation that there's a promotion of rebellion despite the goodness of God. Let's look finally at number three, preservation despite rebellion. Preservation. Verses 25 and 26. With all of this going on in the background, these two verses stand in stark contrast. Again, Adam and Eve had many sons and daughters. Here's the birth of another son. But this is, this is not the birth of just another. There's a reason that this son is being called out. This is the beginning of that chosen line. The son through whom will come the serpent head crusher. This is that line. Seth, the name Seth means appointed. God has appointed another son, a son, an offspring instead of Abel that, whom Cain killed. Now don't miss this. Abel was killed by Cain. He was wiped out the face of the earth. Before his line could even get started, he was, he was wiped out. His line was hopelessly lost. It was taken away forever. No chance of return. But God appoints a replacement. We might call it a substitute for Abel. This line of Seth, the chosen line, the whole line itself is a substitute for what was taken away and was hopelessly lost. The serpent crusher, the Messiah, our Redeemer and Savior, who will substitute himself in our place under God's judgment on the cross, he will be our substitute. His whole line is a substitute. We who are hopelessly lost in our sin, who can't do anything about it, who can't fix ourselves, Jesus will substitute himself in our place and suffer God's wrath so that we don't have to. That's what Jesus is for us, and his whole line begins with a substitute. 
for what was hopelessly lost. God's plan will happen. It will come about no matter how much the world or man or Satan himself tries to disrupt God's plan. He will be glorified by making and keeping promises and covenants. So Seth, the appointed one, is born, and he has a son. And you might think, wow, this son is going to be somebody. He's going to be something. He's going to be amazing. You've seen the success, the prosperity of the whole line of the wickedness of Cain. and You've seen how much they've prospered, how much they've, they've been able to have so many earthly blessings. This man is going to be God's man on the planet. His name is Enosh, and you're going to remember it. Except that Enosh means just another guy. <laughs> it, means, it means man. It just means a man, but a mortal man. The emphasis is on the frailty, the weakness of man. He's just flesh and blood. He's mortal. The line of triumph over the serpent is made up of just a regular guy. Now contrast these two lines. The line of triumph of man is strong. It's proud. It's beautiful. It's boastful. It's vengeful. It's self-righteous. It's violent. It's well-known. It's admired. It's prosperous. It even brags about its evil. The chosen line that God brings is ordinary and unimpressive. Yet they're aware of their weakness before God. They are aware of their need for God. You say, how do you know that? Because it is at this time when Seth is born and when Enosh is born, it is at this time that people begin to call upon the name of the Lord. The word for people here is not generic, just men and women. The focus is on the defiled, the profane, the desecrated people. All of us are in and affected with sin. We're the desecrated, profane, defiled people. But some of these defiled and sinful people begin to call upon the name of the Lord. They only do that when they realize that they're sinful and defiled and desecrated and they can't fix it themselves. So they call upon the name of the Lord. They verbally, publicly, inwardly and outwardly call out to him. Why would they call upon his name? Because all that they know about him is his name, his reputation, his, his fullness of who he is and all that he's done. He is the creator who's made everything the way that it was supposed to be. He's the one who made us in his own image. He tells us what to do. He tells us who he is. He tells us who we are. This is this God, the faithful one, the, the one who brings blessings, the one who blesses us. He's the unchanging faithful one. He is mercy when we call out to him. And so they proclaim the nature of God, the name of God by calling upon him. That happens when this line comes about. At that time, this begins to happen. And so as we continue contrasting these two lines, Cain's line brings earthly blessings. Seth's line brings spiritual blessings. The earthly blessings came from man, from, from bravado, from intelligence and creativity, from power and from the strength of man. The spiritual blessings that come from God come through everyday, regular, ordinary, normal, weak people who acknowledge before God that they need Him. They submit to Him and they worship Him. So our lesson from these verses, our application that we take from here is that we need to trust the Lord in full dependence on Him. We trust the Lord in full dependence on Him. You and I are totally and completely dependent on God for our next breath, as much as we are for tomorrow, for next week, for next year, for our next meal. 
We're dependent on him for our eternal salvation in every way we are dependent on him. But so many people around us reject that or neglect that and live as if they are the creator, as if they're the strong ones. In every way, we are dependent creatures on our creator. But so often, we forget that. And, and we wouldn't necessarily say it. We wouldn't say, oh, I forgot God today. But we live that way. We do things that betray that that's true of us. So be reminded of that. Be, be reminded that we are dependent on this independent, almighty, good God. Call out to him. Trust him in full dependence. Repent of any evil thoughts and attitudes, not just actions and words. Not just the times that you've said something or done something, but the heart that sprang those words out and those actions out that began with an attempted independence from God. That's how it begins in our hearts. So repent of those inappropriate, wrong thoughts and attitudes. Repent of being jealous of the world. <laughs> There's a lot of money and, and prosperity and success in the world. Don't be jealous of that. Don't be jealous of that. They're, they may have celebrity and beauty and power and inventiveness. Praise God that he gave that to us. Praise God that he's given those good things to us, but don't get tricked into thinking that that's what life is about. Life is about living for our Savior. He gave his life for us so that we would live for him. So trust him in full dependence. Father, we pray, God, that you would grow that within us. Father, as Pastor Tom was praying earlier, that you would grow us in humility. Father, grow us in our faith. Father, in the fruit of your spirit within us, we pray that you would grow us in love. Father, in all that you've called us to be and do, Lord, we fail so often, so many ways. Lord, when we're honest and we see ourselves in the light of your holiness rather than in the, life, in the light of other people, God, we see that we fall short. We see, God, that we deserve your wrath and your judgment, and yet you give us Jesus. In grace and mercy, Father, you allow us to continue. You, you give us forgiveness. Father, you give us a brand new life from within, and you've given us, your word tells us, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Father, what a glorious, gracious, and merciful God you are. Father, we pray that we would live in light of that, Father, that our attitudes, our thoughts, our actions, our feelings, our words, everything about us would change, God, because of who you are, how you have changed us. We pray that you would teach us to live fully dependent on you. God, keep us from jealousy. Father, keep us from discontent. Keep us from pride. God, but give us a great love for the people around us. Give us a hunger for your word so that we'll know it and understand it and, and that we'll live it and that people will see our good works and glorify you. And then, God, they will ask us and that we'll be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have because our Savior Jesus is set aside, sanctified as holy, as Lord. Father, thank you for him. Thank you for his perfect life. Would you make us more like him for your glory? In his name we pray.